May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Our hymn in procession into the world today is a beloved hymn for All Saints Day. I sing a song of the saints of God. Some of you know it. Here's a slightly updated version. I sing a song of the saints of God, patient and brave and true, who toiled and fought and lived and died for the Lord they loved and knew. And one was a shortstop with a golden glove, and one was a second baseman that we all love, and one hit a home run to heaven above. And there are so many more on the Astros, but we haven't, gotten, haven't even gotten to the pictures yet. But I'll stop there before I go down any further into the, onto the road of silliness and baseball idolatry. But it is a happy day today, a sleepy day kind of in Houston for celebrating. Um, even those who aren't that interested in baseball can... Um, did have a reason to celebrate as others were celebrating. And today, here at Trinity, we celebrate All Saints Sunday, which is a major feast day of the church and is on November 1st. Again, as many of you know, but it's transferred to this Sunday so that we can sing all the hymns and um, celebrate and remember so in our bulletin, there are names of those who have been sent in, who have died within living memory of uh, our, our friends and our family and people that were admired. And during the prayers of the people, we, we don't read them all out loud, but we have a pause um, when we say, we remember all those on our memorial page. And we pause and remember those in our hearts who are here no longer uh, physically, but in spirit and in inspiration and in memory and an example. So I, I want to say that saints are not people who are sinless. Saints are not sinless. And if you take the time to read the, um, all the books and the historical fiction um, or the butler's lives of saints or celebrating our saints, these big tomes that dig into the life of our um, oldest saints and also our newest saints and holy men and holy women, you will see the emphasis on their best quality. But none of these people were flawless. None of these people were... Um, Jesus. All of these people were human. All of these people were uh, perfectly imperfect, as we like to say here. Saints are not sinless. They are sinners with self-awareness. Sinners with faith. Sinners who know how to get up and keep walking when they fail, sinners who somehow captured that they are worthy, beloved, and priceless, 
no matter what they've done to separate themselves from God. And they understand that not just they are worthy, beloved, and priceless. They understand that all of God's children are worthy, beloved, and priceless. And the saints, these self-aware sinners who tried and often did change their life, but took many attempts to do so, they were people who took the opportunities set before them by God, set before them by life, set before them by their community, took those opportunities to give themselves to God in so many unique and varied and different ways. They gave themselves to God, to each other, to the community through service to others, through courage and tribulation, through unconditional kindness, and through contributing to community outside their circle of care or outside their comfort zones. Saints were and are people who make the decision every single day to somehow, some way, serve God, to do God's will over self-will, to recognize the works and wonder of God in Christ in both the gift and the burden of the life that we share through the joys and the sorrows of the life that we share. And this is why we read the Beatitudes, which encompass, encapsulate those joys and sorrows that we share as human beings on this journey, the spiritual journey together. I was really distressed several years ago when I saw a conversation um, or heard a conversation between some young Christians who had experienced the Beatitudes as a form of, uh, of control or um, a seeding complacency. Oh, just, you know, um, accept your lot and don't worry about it. The Beatitudes have never been or never have never been meant to be understood that way. There are many ways to understood them, but in these blessings and in the woes, what we are asked to do is to understand that God is with us, not just when we're succeeding. God is with us when we are mourning. God is with us when we are weeping. God is with us when we are rejected. Those things don't mean that God doesn't love us. And on the other hand, if we are successful in this world, it doesn't mean that God loves us more. So be careful. Woe is a warning, warning to you who are rich because just be careful about how you interpret that and how you use your resources. Woe to you who laugh now. And it's not a, it's not a, it's, um, a judgment or a curse. 
That's not a curse. It's just a warning. Be humble. Be generous when things are going well. Be loving when things are going well. Be kind when things are going well in this world for you. Because you could, at some time, have to deal with the script being flipped. These blessings and the woes are, are in some ways, uh, not as Fleming Rutledge says, um, instructions for saints, but they're a reminder, a comfort to be humble, a reminder and a comfort and a guide that God is all in all. A blessing means that God is present with you, that you understand that God is present. And so we believe that God is present, not um, judging or punishing you when something bad happens, but lifting and carrying you up and and, and, and saying, hey, I'm here, even if you can't see it. Those woes remind me of a song I was listening to recently by Alicia Keys, Not Even the King, where she talks about what is priceless is the love and the trust that she has with her beloved and those kind of things you can't buy. You can't buy that. And she says, some people are so poor, all that they have is money. So, it's just a reminder that we are to share of our hearts and ourselves. We are to share of our riches and wisdom. We are to know that even the most downtrodden has something to teach us and something to give us and is worthy and beloved. There was a, a speech <clears throat> that Pope Francis uh, gave recently and again we can agree to disagree on so many things but when somebody says something beautiful let's honor it so he says when you make a mistake start over because only then will you be in love with life You'll discover that being happy isn't having a perfect life. So use your tears to irrigate tolerance. Use your defeats to train your patience. Use your mistakes with the serenity of the sculptor. Use pain to tune into pleasure. Use obstacles to open the windows of intelligence and never give up. Above all, never give up on the people that love you. Never give up on being happy because life 
is an incredible spectacle. Last week was the Episcopal Diocese of Texas Clergy Conference, and every year Bishop Doyle, uh, he, he has an interview to Fireside Chat, which is kind of funny because it's not next to a fire and it's not a chat. But for some reason he calls it the Fireside Chat. And now it's become the joke that, um, that it's, it's really an interview. And I didn't know, and many people didn't know, the woman that he was interviewing this year. Her name is Mary Emery. And she um, helped found the Wildcat Bluff Nature Center on her family's former ranch outside of Amarillo, Texas. Now, we have joined with the former Diocese of Fort Worth, and so she is a member of our diocese now. And she was um, a, a little bit of a soft-spoken, but soft but clear-spoken woman who's lived a lot of life. And she had, um, she's studied with Teknat Han. She's um, founded, been a founding member of the Habitat for Humanity International. I mean, she's just got this whole long list of things that she's done, but she had an epiphany at one point in her life that a lot of her life and her family's wealth had come from her grandfather's patent of barbed wire. And all her life she had uh, been told of the good use and the, the, um, the advantages of barbed wire, to which there were many. That is true. But at one point she came into uh, the consciousness that the barbed wire, at the same time that it, it gave farmers and some cattle ranchers uh, great economic opportunities, it threatened the livelihood of others, including Plains Indian tribes and small-scale ranchers who had never had to own land to raise livestock. And so she had to deal with this legacy that was also, uh, was not as purely good as um, she had intended, and she had been told all her life. And I think this is a, a good metaphor for a lot of America. A lot of what we're doing these days is looking with eyes open as Paul says in his letter to the Ephesians, for hope, but looking with truth at our legacies and looking with truth at the dualistic nature of things and even ourselves. In the early church, we were, the Christians were all referred to as saints, the saints of God in uh, whatever community. So to the saints of God, here at Trinity, while maybe I don't say St. Kevin or St. Um, Tony or any of, uh, I don't call you saints, you are saints of God because you are here making the decision to take whatever opportunity God gives to you to serve others, to act with integrity, to give glory to God, to act with courage. 
saints of people, of the people of Trinity, remember, and I pray with Paul, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ may give you all a spirit of wisdom and revelation as you come to know him, so that with the eyes of your heart enlightened, you may know what is the hope what is the hope to which God has called you? Amen.